Well, of the congregation of the Lord, shall we read again here in John chapter 10 and verse 9. I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. Well, children, I, I have a, a question for you. How would it be if this morning when, when mommy and daddy brought you into the church building here, what if they told you that the way we're going to get inside the church building here, well, we're going to break open a window and we're going to climb in the window. Would that be a, a good way, do you think, to, to come into the, the worship building here? No, I don't think so. But what if, what, how would it be if your mommy and daddy were to say, we're going to climb up on the roof, and what we're going to do is we're going to put a hole in the roof, and we're going to get in the building that way. Would that be the best way to get into the, the church building? No, I don't think that would be a very a good way either. I think that, that the way that you got in was through those doors in, in the back of the building there, Right? So someone opened up uh, the door and you were able to come in. There's a, an opening here and, and someone unlocked it for you. Someone held it open for you. You were able to come in here and enjoy the worship service. So you know all about doors. Your, your home, that has a door, right? If you were going to go home after the church, you're going to go inside. But what do you think that Jesus means here in the Bible where he says in verse 9, I am the door. I am the door. Well, maybe that might be a little bit confusing. You think, well, Jesus, he isn't a door, right? You know Jesus. He's our Savior. He's the Son of God, and he's the Son of the Virgin Mary. He's, he's Jesus Christ. He's, he's not the same thing as a door, right? Well, I think the important thing for, for us to understand, children, is that, that sometimes things in the Bible which are really important for us to understand, well, you see what happens is Jesus explains it to us using what's called a parable. A parable. And it might be a, a, good, a good thing for, for you to talk with your mommy and daddy about, about today. What is a parable. And I'm sure your, your mommy or daddy, they would tell you the answer to that question. A parable, you see, is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. It's uh, the way in which God tells us truths that are so important for us to understand about salvation, but using things that we see around us every day, like a door. And so what I'd like to do this morning uh, is we will be studying this question. What is it that Jesus is wanting us to understand from this parable that he used, and especially his explanation of it with those words? I am the door, there in verse 9. Well, let's answer uh, that question by considering three things about those words. I am the door. First, the the truth about them, what they mean. Second, the, the warning 
that they give. And third, the invitation that they give. So the meaning and the warning and the invitation. Well, what is this parable that, that we've been talking about? Well, it happened at a time when Jesus was extremely controversial in his own ministry. The enemies of his ministry had been uh, especially uh, growing hostile to him because he'd been faithfully preaching from the law of God and exposing the false teachers of, of his own day, the Pharisees. And, and you can see that there's sort of a, a context of conflict throughout this, this whole chapter. It's the, the enemies of, of Christ are becoming more angry, more, more opposed, but Christ is not backing down. And so he gives this parable beginning at verse 1. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. But he that entereth in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the porter openeth, and the sheep hear his voice. And he calleth his own sheep by name, and leadeth them out. And when he putteth forth his own sheep, he goeth before them. And the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. And a stranger will they not follow, but will flee from him, for they know not the voice of strangers. So that's the parable. That's the earthly story that is communicated here. And, and what can we say about the, the truth of this, and especially what is the meaning of this door? What is it that Jesus wants to see? Well, I, I, I gave a, a particular um, a message at the prayer meeting this week um, to those who were gathered there. So if you were, you were there, maybe as you, you heard me explain it, you under, understood that the context here is that there is a, a sheepfold that is really representing what we call the invisible church, all true believers and those who have salvation. That's really the picture here. And uh, Jesus is, is pictured as the door that we must go into in order to, to experience the blessings of salvation. But as I've, I've studied it more and, and throughout this week, I, I've come to a bit of a, a different conviction on it. And I think one of the things to zero in on is verse 3. To him the porter openeth, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calleth his own sheep by name, and leadeth them out. So what are we to understand by this sheepfold, and why is it that they're being led out of it, right? Well, I was helped by reading Arthur Pink's commentary on this, on this chapter, and I think he, he proves very, very clearly that we need to look at the, the context of of what Jesus was saying here. He was speaking in the context of an apostate Jewish church. The church of the Jews, which had been established, especially under, under Moses, and been sustained through the prophets, it had fallen into the control of these false teachers, the, the Pharisees. And, 
And Jesus, as he is establishing the church of the New Testament, which will be composed of both Jew and uh, Gentile, he is seeking to lead them out of this, this, this uh, particular church. And he uses the illustration here of a sheepfold. And if you would know a little bit about uh, the context here in those days, if you were a shepherd and you owned many of your own uh, sheep, you'd of course be uh, constantly on the lookout for dangerous animals that might kill them, like wolves. And so there, there might be a time where you couldn't be walking, watching those sheep constantly. And so what would you do? Well, you'd lead them to one of these, these special sheepfolds, which in that context would have been a fenced-in area with, with really high stone walls, maybe uh, 10 or 12 uh, feet high. And there would be a doorman or a porter there who was in charge of watching over the, the, the sheep for other shepherds, basically. So he, uh, he was watching over all these different sheep that were uh, entrusted to his care, and he wouldn't let them out and, and let them um, go free into the pasture until it was that the true shepherd came and, and claimed them for his own. So I think when you come to see that sort of context, I think we can come to see sort of the spiritual application here. Uh, I think that if you would look at the overall argument of the, the Gospel of John, this doorman is actually John the Baptist. He comes up later on in, that, in this chapter, which we read. And in the overall uh, narrative of this great history, it's John the Baptist who is especially speaking for God and testifying to the Jewish church to receive Christ as the Messiah. He is the one who, who is to receive the shepherd. And, and as we'll see this afternoon, Jesus is that, that shepherd who will receive the sheep out. But before Jesus draws out that application, that he is the shepherd who will call his elect sheep out of the, the Jewish church into the New Testament church, he, he rather begins by drawing a different uh, conclusion that we're to draw. And that is that he is the door of that sheepfold. And he says that in, in a couple places here, doesn't he? he? He says it in verse 7. Then said Jesus unto them again, Verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. All that ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them, and so on. And then in verse 9, I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved. So there, there it is. We're to look at this illustration of um, the, the doorman letting the, the sheep out of this, this enclosed area to go find pasture with their, their shepherd. And we're to understand that this door that they are exiting out from this door is, is a picture of Jesus Christ himself. And what are we, we need to take from that? Well, it's, it's really a picture of the exclusive claims of, of Jesus Christ, isn't it? That when it comes to matters of religion, when it comes to matters of salvation, God who created all things, he has committed the means of salvation unto his Son, unto the mediator, Jesus Christ. 
And it is exactly as Jesus said later on in this uh, great gospel book. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. And the great truth that's, that's being put here is, is just as uh, we would be foolish to try to enter into this building any other way by the door or seeking to exit out this, day, way, this building any other way by than the door, so also it is utter folly to seek salvation in any other name than that of Jesus Christ. So that is the meaning, that is the, the sense that's communicated here. And for this, I'd like to transition now to what is really uh, on the surface of the text, and I think is is probably one of the most direct applications to take from that, and that is a word of great warning. A word of great warning, or our second thought, because you notice uh, the kind of words that are, that are used here, especially in, in verse, um, verse 8 again. All that ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. And then again in verse 10, the thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they may have it more abundantly. Throughout all this, there is a, a real strong condemnation of especially the enemies of, of Christ here, the Pharisees. They are the ones who came before him. Speaking of his earthly ministry, they were those whom had been entrusted to uh, care for the church of the living God. And yet they had not come into that calling by means of the door. They had indeed come into the sheepfold, come into the Jewish church, but they had gone in there by climbing over that, um, that sheepfold wall. They had not gone in in the appointed way. Indeed, of course, they had rejected God's messenger, John the Baptist. And in that way, they had rejected God himself and God's authority. And so the warning that is directly here is to all those, and, and I think perhaps especially to those of us who have that ministry of reconciliation, who are called to give, uh, to give the gospel in, in preaching and, and through the ministry of the sacraments, that anyone who would enter into such a calling to serve and to guard the church, to watch over the souls of men, there's only one way that they can do so, and that is by a lawful calling, a calling that is from the Lord. Indeed, in the heart as that is sealed unto the minister of the word, but also as it is confirmed through the, the one who is entrusted with God's authority. In, this, in these days, that would be the entire visible church, not only a prophet like John the Baptist, but of course the Holy Spirit working through and in both the man and the church. And I think that in that way, we come to see that we ought to always, always hear this warning. That simply because a man may be sitting behind a pulpit, does not mean that he is lawfully called. It is the case, and it's a, it's a sorry thing, but throughout the history of 
redemption. Churches like this Jewish church have gone apostate, and it has largely been the result of apostate leaders. When we look at the churches throughout our land that would deny the gospel, deny Christ's resurrection, deny the virgin birth, did not happen overnight, but it happened at the hands of apostate ministers, neither saved themselves nor lawfully called. It ought to be the case that every single Christian, every single office bearer, every single minister ought to be hearing this reality that false teaching and false teachers are a mortal threat to the church and are to be solemnly warned against. It is only by means of the door, only by means of faith in Jesus Christ and faithfulness unto him that anyone can undertake the calling of a minister. But I think likewise we can also see that if there was a message for the Jewish leaders, also for the Jewish people as well, Jesus was speaking this to all those whom would hear, both those who had been abusing their religious authority in the Jewish church, but also those under their authority. Everyone who heard this received a like warning that they, if they would know salvation and the favor of God, they had to go through the door. They had to go through Jesus Christ. And could it be, could it be that there are those here who think that you can enter into the true spiritual church of God's redeemed through any other way than through Jesus Christ, through your works, through your good deeds, through your efforts, through your wisdom, through anything, anything that you would build up as something that you can boast in, that that is is ultimately what God will smile upon. But it's far otherwise here. It's only by means of the door, only by means of Christ, resting our souls upon his person, his finished work, that we can ever enter into the true spiritual church of God's redeemed. So we see this warning, as well as the meaning that we've previously said, but in the third and and last place, I'd like to draw from, from this text also the great invitation that we see here. What a great invitation do we find, especially in verse 7, or sorry, verse 9. I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. So there is the invitation, and it's extended in the context of this parable that he's been been using. He he enters back into that uh, sort of earthly way of speaking and seeks to draw more spiritual lessons there. You have these sheep, they've been entrusted into the care of of um, of the doorman or the porter. They've been entrusted into the care of this sheepfold, and then their beloved shepherd comes to them. He comes to them and says, come to me. It's time to go. You are with me now. And, and maybe there's a, there's a shepherd who's, 
who's not really understanding. He's been in this place, and, and what is happening? Sheep are silly creatures, aren't they? they? They don't often understand why things are happening. And so this, this shepherd, he lovingly coaxes this sheep. Maybe it's sleepy, maybe it's lazy, maybe it's, it's uh, otherwise misbehaving. And, and so rather than, than smite this, this sheep, what does Jesus do as the shepherd? He lovingly woos this sheep with these invitations. I am the door if by me if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. I think there's, there's different things that are held forth here in this invitation that is extended out to, to anyone, to anyone who would, who would hear it. And the things that are, that are enticing the sinner here to receive salvation in Jesus Christ, they, they deserve notice. First, there's, there is just this word salvation, deliverance. Deliverance from what? We know what that is, don't we? It's deliverance from hell. Our lives are like a vapor. We will soon, we will soon pass from this earthly life. And all the things that presently occupy us and fill our minds and attention, they won't matter one bit when you pass into eternity. If you are not saved, and to die is to pass into eternal hell, a just hell, a hell for your sins, a hell that never ends, what could be more important than escaping that wrath to come? But Jesus says here that there is salvation if you will come through the door, if you will believe upon this one, the door, the Christ, Jesus, the one who was crucified for sinners like you and I. Not through any other way, but through this door is salvation from hell, from sin, from guilt. Salvation also unto the presence of God. But look as well, it speaks of freedom here, doesn't it? And shall go in and out. So here it's sort of speaking of, of the freedom of the sheep. That's really the sense of the, the Greek word that's used here in, in this way. It's, it's the idea of there's no more barriers, there's no impediments when you're in that um, Sheepfold, you know, you're you're bound to uh, adhere to these these four walls. But here we have these sheep, and they're being called out into liberty. Liberty is the sheep brings them out. And sometimes the New Testament Bible does speak in this way about the old covenant church that there was something restrictive about it compared to the full liberty of the gospel under the new covenant church. And perhaps there's something there. But however it may be, the liberty of the sinner in Jesus Christ is such an encouragement. Because when it's really seen for what it is, it is, it is so much better than living in the bondage that we create for ourselves. We are our own worst masters. We are our own tyrants. We could be living in the most free country in the world, and yet we could be every bit slaves, living worse than animals, as is often the case in our own day. And why, 
Why is that? Well, because if you are in bondage to the devil, in bondage to sin, and ultimately in bondage to self, and that is no way to live. To really be free is to be free to love God, to know God, to know God in Christ, to be free to commune with God, to worship Him from the heart, to give everything of our lives to Him in gratitude, and to do so in delight, not because you have to, not because it's just a, a rule that you have to obey, not just because other people will think badly of you, if you don't, but no, out of a glad heart, you serve the Lord in liberty. This is found only in Christ. Oh, the only way to find true freedom is through Jesus Christ. Nothing else will do the trick. Because as I say, the greatest bondage is not from any uh, form of, of political oppression. The greatest form of bondage is from the sinful principle that reigns in the unconverted heart. Do you feel that bondage? Do you feel it absolutely as though one without grace? Or do you feel yourself sinking back into bondage? Are you backsliding? Are you living out of communion with the Lord? Well, I tell you today, go back unto this door that you walked through in days of old. Go unto Christ afresh and confess your sins. And do not think he won't receive you. There's this open door, this open invitation. I am the door by me. If any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out. And what does it say? And find pasture. Find pasture. Look at those silly sheep there in the sheepfold. Maybe it's uh, past feeding time and they're, they're growing very hungry and and the shepherd comes to him and says, it's time to go, time to find pasture with me. Time to feed your weary bodies, sheep, with the lush green grass of the meadows that I will lead you to. But of course, Jesus isn't just the shepherd. He's also that door. He's saying, oh, you want to obey the voice of the shepherd. You want to obey that voice and, and find those those." sustaining food supplies of the green pastures, well, you'll never find it other than through the door. Sheep are silly creatures, aren't they? And so if they're not given these clear directions this way and none other, then they're prone to try to invent some other way. They'll, they'll maybe walk uh, through some other, other path that will lead them with nothing refreshing or sustaining whatsoever. Surely they would die. And is that not like ourselves? How often do we wander in all sorts of directions that ultimately lead to our souls being famished? We would starve ourselves to death if there were not Christ coming to us through the word of his gospel and saying, the door, sheep, the door. Don't forget the door. Nothing else will bring you sustaining grace. Nothing else will truly take away the ache of a guilty conscience. Nothing else will satisfy the cravings of a longing heart. Only the green pastures of going through the door, embracing Christ and his gospel, and finding that he alone can satisfy so all these great promises, 
invitations not to be despised or rejected by anyone, but in humility to be embraced and simply walk through the door and embrace Christ in faith. And would, if that were all that were said, that would be enough. But notice how he, how he says more there in verse 10. He is not done. So you notice what he says there after he continues with that warning to the false teachers. He says, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. So ultimately, he's using this, this parable, he's using this illustration, but it's almost as though he discards it because he, he knows that at this point it can't quite capture the greatness of the truth that he must speak. And so he simply says, says, I am the door. I am the one this is all pointing to. And what does it mean? It means I have come. I have come as the Savior. I have come to save sinners. It was for this reason that the Son of God took flesh. For this reason that he entered into war with the Pharisees and with all the other children of the devil. It was for this reason that he went all the way to the cross. Nothing else can explain it other than Christ's heart of love for sinners. That is what is held forth here. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. It's life that Christ came to bring. Jesus came not to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved and saved in such a way that they would experience life. And it's a, it's a word that's likely to be misunderstood, so he adds that it is life that is more abundant. It is a greater life, a, a, a greater measure of life, and a different quality of life. It is life that is surpassing in its greatness, not to be compared with any other. And so you would, you would consider the life of an unconverted soul. What do they live for ultimately? Whether in the church or in the world, they live for themselves. For them, they live to satisfy their desires. Their interactions with others, it's about them. Their way they pass their time, it's about them. And what is that life? Even if they enjoyed perfect health, what if they enjoyed all the vigors of youth, all the wealth that that could be supplied? What if they enjoyed a perfect marriage partner? What if they enjoyed a rich, bountiful family? What if they enjoyed the acclaim and reputation of their community? Well, their life, so-called, is but still a walking death for alienated from God and headed for everlasting destruction. There's nothing to be said for it. It's not life of that nature, but much more abundant than that. If you think about it, it's even more abundant than what Adam enjoyed in the garden. Have you ever read about what happened there with Adam and Eve before the fall into sin? How they had communion with God. God walked with them in the cool of the day. They experienced fellowship with God that was unbroken, even um, by any trace of sin. We've never entirely experienced that have we we might say well that's really to be envied but no much more abundant than that the life of the redeemed child of God they enjoy union and communion with God through the crucified Lord of glory Jesus Christ 
That is something that is even greater than what Adam experienced in the garden. It is a life that enjoys all the glory of God, all the majesty of God, but in the awareness that this same God has revealed himself in the way of mercy and kindness towards the undeserving, even such that he did not spare his own son. These are things that even angels desire to look into. Things that boggle the mind. The greatest of theologians can just point and stammer when they would consider such a glorious thing. It's more abundant, more glorious than anything. If you would think about it, the greatest thing that you could be is a Christian. The most excellent thing you should ever desire is to be a sinner redeemed by sovereign grace. Everything else, everything else that we may care about, that we may occupy ourselves with, what is it? Is it not just a pile of sawdust to be scattered into the wind, compared with the surpassing life which Christ has purchased for sinners? That is a glorious thing. And it's found in what way? But through the door. Christ offered Christ inviting, Christ all glorious, all praise to Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us pray. We thank you, O Lord Jesus Christ. You are the door. We praise you and we glorify you and we thank you that you have not left yourself without a witness, but you yet proclaim yourself by the everlasting gospel, offered freely unto sinners without money and without price. How it is, O Lord, that the sinful heart desires to twist such things, to add some price tag to it, some little bit that we can add to this great exchange and this great offer. For there is nothing, O Lord, in our hands we bring. Only to thy cross we cling. It is as needy beggars that we slouch our way unto the door. And we say, let us find pasture here. We are silly sheep, O Lord, prone to wander, prone to perish. But we thank you that Jesus Christ is such a great Savior, also to save to the uttermost. Teach us, Lord, to rest our weary souls upon him alone to experience that life and life more abundant and to desire nothing save to know Jesus Christ and to live for his glory. For we pray it all in the surpassing greatness of the name that is above every name, the name before whom every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is 